Hello there, and welcome to our Sardis Fellowship Sermon Podcast. My name is Richard Frankowitz, and I'm the Youth Director here at SFBC. This week, Pastor Rod Heppel continues to explore the book of John in our sermon series. Enjoy! Um, I want to say that the subject matter that I'm going to be preaching on is a little bit heavy. It's around death, and I don't know if some parents have their kids in here. I just wanted to give you as parents a little heads up uh, that it's a little heavier message than, than often, and if you felt like, well, I'm not sure if my child is ready for this message at this time, I wanted to give you that heads up. They could go to Sardis Kids, or you could um, hang out in the foyer area if, if they're not in the Sardis Kids program, um, but I wanted to give you that fair warning. And to give you that chance to maybe think about it, I'll just tell you that I got back from Toronto last night, and you're like... <clears throat> That sounds like it was cutting it tight. It's very much cutting it tight when you fly with a swoop or flare because you never know if they're going to cancel your flight, right? But they didn't cancel mine. But the reason why I was in Toronto, and for the first time in my life, I got to go up the CN Tower. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, you know, like I was at about, I think it's the 1,200-foot level, but you're in this glass elevator looking out, and my knees were like rubber. <laughs> I didn't faint. I was very proud of myself, very proud. But the reason why I was there is because I'm on a board for an organization called Transworld Radio Canada. And uh, they partner with the U.S., which is the international office. And they do a tremendous work around the world, not just with broadcasting radio, but with all the modern um, media technologies that relate to the internet. Um, They're in closed countries where it's very hard for people to get into. And it's just amazing the things that God is doing in places like Iran and China, uh, two countries that are very closed and very hard to minister in. Um, and they have just some amazing resources for discipleship as well. And I get to be a part of that by being on their board. And I, I go twice a year. Uh, I just came onto this board this last year. So if you want to know more about that, I'm happy to share later. So I hope I've given enough time for a parent to make their decision because we're talking about a heavier topic today. I hate death. How's that for a conversation starter? But seriously, there's nothing about it that makes me like it. I don't like that people die. I don't like the fact that Judy Chapman is going to be leaving this world. I also don't like how people die. I don't like the sense of loss and separation that it brings. And I don't like the emptiness and aloneness that it leaves. There's nothing heartwarming about death. Now, I'm not saying that death doesn't have a purpose. We know that out of death comes life. We see it in a harvest that unless the seed goes into the ground and dies, it doesn't come to life and produce a harvest. We know that here in the Fraser River, if the salmon don't spawn and die, there's no new life, right? And I get all that. It may have its place in this world system, but I find it a very hard reality in our world. But the part about death that really bothers me the most is where will a person spend eternity? The Bible teaches that we live on after we die. And I think our own internal radar affirms that. That we know that we are not made just for this world, but for something that goes beyond this world. And there's two realities according to the Bible. One where you spend eternity with God, and one where you spend eternity without God. One where you spend eternity in a place called the new heaven and the new earth. It's a dwelling place of God where the people of God who are in Christ dwell with God forever. And there is another place that the Bible describes as hell. A place designed for Satan and his followers, his angels, his demons, but also for people who reject the one and only gift of God that is given to all humanity, Jesus, his son. 
The biblical picture of hell is not pretty. It's described as a place of eternal anguish and torment. And while none of us want to think about the fact that there could be a place such as that, Jesus spoke about it often. If you read through the Gospels, you will read the warnings that he's given about the consequences of rejecting God's one and only answer for us as humans. And in the end, God honors a person's wish that if they don't want God in their lives, then they have that experience forever. That's the part about death that would concern me the most. Where will I spend eternity? I'm not a morbid guy by nature. I'm actually kind of a person who likes to see the enjoyment of life. And... But you know, there's a soberness to our life. In all the enjoyment, do we stop to think about what comes next? Do we stop to think about death? Have we come face to face with the fact that we all die? And then what? Because of my role as a pastor, I started in this church um, 18 years ago at the age of 35, and I think I was kind of brought in on this little talked about secret called death <laughs> early. I don't know, at 35, you're not really thinking about it. You think you have a lot of life in front of you yet. But at that age, I started to oversee an area of ministry called pastoral care, which meant I would visit with those who were elderly and those who became sick and those who died, and then I would take funeral and memorial services for them. And so you can't do a funeral or memorial service for someone who has died without thinking about death. And you begin to ask all the kinds of questions that we should ask about death. We should be asking, well, what happens to that person the moment they breathe their last breath? I've been there for two people who have breathed their last breath. It's a very sobering moment. We wonder things like, well, their body is here if I'm at a graveside service, but where is the person that I knew and loved? Are they trapped inside there somewhere? Where did they go? Are they sleeping? Have they gone to be with Jesus? Is this just it? There's really nothing more, as many in our culture believe. You know, you start wrestling with these kinds of questions about death when you're having to do memorial service. I often have a line that I say to people, I like to really bring the party when I'm at a memorial service, you know. I say to them, you know, folks, we all need to kind of consider this reality. We're here gathered today to remember so-and-so. But the truth is, as what's happened to this individual will happen to each and every one of us. Right? The ratio is still one for one. I think that when you're younger, you push it off because you think, well, I can kick that can down the road for a few more years before I really have to grapple with it. I'm still young. Surely I'm not going to die tomorrow. Of course, no one has that guarantee. The truth is, the longer you live, the, the more you know life is short. It's not the years that skip by. It's the decades, right? Some of you are like, uh-huh, uh-huh. I know that. Now, not everyone's experience is that they don't have to think about death until they're old. Some people have experienced death very close to them, a parent, a grandparent, someone they've loved dearly, and they've had to grapple with this early. They've felt that loss and separation, and it's probed the questions and the wonderings, and some have that experience. But for most, they avoid going to funerals and memorials, and some haven't ever been. They don't go to gravesides. That doesn't even happen so much anymore, and they don't really have to think about it much. I've stood at many a graveside, a hole that is dug, a casket that sits on these, these bands that hold the casket up and there's a hole that's six feet or more down. And you're standing there and you're realizing there's a body inside that casket, but where's the person? What happens at this moment? It seems so solemn and cold and sobering. Or it's an urn that sits on a table just to the side of a smaller hole 
But this is the hard reality of every human that ever lives, that it comes to that. And that's what's so striking for me in my experience. Of course, every human outside of Jesus Christ who rose to life and outside of Enoch who was taken up and outside of Elijah. But aside from that, it's the hard reality of every person who ever lives. And we come face to face with the fact we all die. As we've been going through John's gospel, he's recorded for us a bunch of stories. And he gave it the purpose. He said, I have written these things so that you might know or believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, the Messiah. And that by believing in him, you may have life. That's why our theme says that. So Jesus, John is saying that Jesus is the one who's come to give us life. So what has he said about himself so far? When we start at the very beginning of this, we spend a bit of time in the prologue at the very beginning of John's gospel that lays out the things he's going to explore. And he starts by saying, in the beginning. Huh? In the beginning of what? In the beginning of everything. There was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And through the Word, everything that we see that is created was created through him, the Word. And then he goes on and he talks about things like Jesus saying, I have living water to offer you, or I am the bread of life. And he says, eat of me, drink of me, and you will never go hungry. You will never be thirsty. And then he says, I am the light of the world, and I am the good shepherd. I can guide your life. I can be a light to your path. I can give you life. You'll never walk in darkness, right? And then he says things like, I'm the good shepherd who will also be the one who walks with you and guides you into salvation and take you through the storms of life. And so we looked at that last week. But we come today to John chapter 11, which kind of seems to me to be a bit of a pinnacle chapter in John's gospel, the first 11, and then from 12 on, it focuses on the cross. But in chapter 11, Jesus makes this famous statement where he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will live even though they die. And I ask myself the question, really? Really, Jesus? You get to live even though you die? How? How does one live even though they die? What is it that Jesus is offering to them that he is also offering to us? It's interesting to note that if you go back to Adam and Eve in the garden, in that garden scene, you realize that in that scene, God told them that if they were to eat of the fruit, they would die. He said, and the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Did they die? I mean, they didn't die immediately, right? They didn't drop dead on the spot the moment they ate of the fruit and disobeyed God. They didn't die right away. Well, what kind of death did they die, right? Well, we are people that are spiritual. There's physical death, there's spiritual death, and they are bound together. They carried on living, Adam and Eve, in their physical bodies, but now due to this disobedience, this thing called sin, it separated them from that right and harmonious relationship with God. That's the problem. And what we see here in the words of Jesus is that he's come to reverse that. He's come to change it around. Jesus said, if you eat, you will surely die, but they carried on living. And Jesus comes and said, even though you die, you're going to live. In Christ, we live forever. Jesus makes this statement right here in a context of a story, and I want us to look at that story. It's a story about death. It's a story about a friend of his who died. His friend's name is Lazarus. You probably know it. And Lazarus has two sisters, Mary and Martha, both who are pretty integral in the story of the Gospels. Their names come up quite a bit. Now, it says that 
Lazarus was more than a friend. He was someone whom Jesus loved. Martha says, the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick, referring to their brother. And then Jesus later, you know, verifies that. He says, now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So this is a pretty special friendship. I don't think you find that too many times in the Bible. I can't think of where Jesus talks about the ones that he loves. Now, he loves everyone, of course, but there's something special about this friendship. And um, what's interesting about this, or strange, really, is that when he gets the message that our brother is sick, he doesn't go to him immediately. You know the story, if you've read it. He delays two days, and we kind of ponder over that and go, what's going on here? If it's someone that you love, Lord, wouldn't you want to go right away? But what we need to know is that there's another storyline going on, on another level. And it's on a spiritual level, and it's something that God wants to do. It's God's plan, and it goes beyond just this human level. And so Jesus delays on purpose, and he, his purpose is he's delaying for the sake of the disciples, that they might really know who he is, that God is going to reveal something about Jesus that is going to cause the disciples to say, yes, I believe in you. And so he delays two days. You can see it in this verse here. This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. So God has a plan and a purpose. And I think that's good for us to remember when we can't really quite understand this human level thing, understand that that is still true, that God has a plan and a purpose. When they arrived in Bethany, when they arrived in Bethany, which was located pretty close to Jerusalem, about three kilometers away, um, they found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days which is this verse right here. Now, this is a significant reference. It comes up twice in this gospel or in this chapter a little bit later again. Why is it significant? Um, in the mindset of the Jewish people, uh, in their teaching from their, their rabbis, it was understood that the spirit of the individual possibly hovered over the body of the person who had died for up to three days, but by the fourth day, um, the hope had passed. So basically, the fourth day reference is a very... Um, confirming way that this person's dead. They're not just maybe still kind of half dead and maybe the life's going to come back into him again. Okay, he's dead. So they reference that. It's very clear that this person is dead and no longer just sick and lying there. Now Jesus comes to the house but not into the house. He's still approaching and Mary and Martha get word that their friend Jesus is, is on his way. He's coming and so Martha runs immediately out. Mary stays back at the house. In the house are all these Jewish people who are friends who have come over from uh, Jerusalem. There's just the Kidron Valley in between and then they come up in kind of the Mount of Olives and Bethany is on the side of the hill and they've made it there and they're, they're mourning. They're mourning in the house and so Mary stays in the house and Martha runs out to meet Jesus because she hears that he's coming. And she says this to him, Lord, Martha said, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. So, you know, we kind of look at this and go, what exactly did Martha believe here? It's a little bit confusing. Um, it's clear that she holds the view that the Jewish people had, that there would be a resurrection of those at the end, 
That there's some kind of general revelation or resurrection that will happen at the end. So she reflects that, I believe, in verse 24. But then in verse 23, it sounds kind of like she's thinking that maybe Jesus, if only he would ask the Father, um, would raise her brother back to life. But I don't know that that's actually what she is truly thinking because later on in verse 39, which we haven't read yet, but when Jesus asked for someone to remove the stone from in front of the tomb, she responds and says, but Lord, by this time there is a bad odor for he has been there four days. So it kind of seems conflicting. What does she really believe? I think verse 25 and 26 capture what Martha does know. Doesn't answer everything she doesn't know. It just captures what she does know. Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who's come into the world. I think there is a resolved sense of belief in her heart that she trusts Jesus. She doesn't know what he means when he says about the resurrection and the life. And the, I don't think she's put all that together. But what she has put together is, I know who you are. You're the Messiah, the Son of God. You've come into this world. You've come into this world for a purpose. And I totally believe that you have proven yourself and that God will do whatever you ask. I, I, I just, yes, Lord, I do believe. But I don't think she thinks that she has in mind that her brother is about to be raised to life. But she is resolved in her heart to practice what we call faith. Do you know what faith is? Faith is taking God at his word and trusting him even when we don't have all the answers to life or all the answers to death. But we say, yeah, I know Jesus does and I'm trusting him. And I think that that's what Jesus calls us to. After Martha, Mary then comes out and has this dialogue with Jesus as well. And when Mary comes out, everyone sees how quickly she leaves the house. And so all the Jewish people get up with her and they go with her. They're, they're, they're mourning as they go. And Jesus sees this scene. And there's these interesting words that when he sees the people coming and they're mourning and they're weeping and he can just, he sees this visible expression of what death generates in the hearts of people. This sorrow, this level of anguish. And he sees all of that. And, and the passage says that he was deeply moved in his spirit. He saw them weeping and he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. You know, it's not the best translation. If you read different um, you know, the King James Version, or if you read the North American Standard Version, or the ESV, or the NLT, and you read these different versions, you're going to see that they translate this different ways, and it's because it's really hard to put the finger on which emotion is Jesus expressing here. The emotion that he's expressing here is really one of anger. It's not anger at the people. It's anger at the visibleness of what death creates within the hearts of people. It feels so heavy. It feels so final. It feels so much like there is no hope. These people are dying without hope. And Christ has come to say, no, even though you die, yet shall you live. So it's anger, actually. It's anger, and it's obviously that death represents everything that Satan embodies. And that's the very thing that Jesus has come to make right again, to reverse. And so he has this emotion within him. And he says, show me, take me to him. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he's been there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? I'm not sure that's not recorded for us, but obviously in his conversation, he's trying to help her understand this, and she wasn't catching it, right? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. 
I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. It's one of the themes that comes out in John's gospel, is that Jesus isn't coming in his own authority. Jesus isn't coming to work his own plan. Jesus is coming, sent from the Father to fulfill the plan of God that goes back into eternity. That he would be the one to come into the world to give his life for all of humanity. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to him, to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. I, I love that line, right? Take off his grave clothes and let him go. I think there's a meaning beyond the immediate. There is a meaning for each and every one of us where Jesus says, if you believe, Martha, do you believe? If you believe, your grave clothes will be taken off and you will be alive. Take off his grave clothes and let him go. To be clear, this is not a resurrection in the same nature as the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He was the first to be truly resurrected to life and never to die again. This is like a resuscitation. It's like Jesus has brought him back to life again, but he is going to die one day again. God's power here is being displayed through Jesus to show that he has power over death. It's a foreshadow of what will take place on the cross when he once for all conquers sin and death. This is a foreshadowing of that and not far from it, by the way. Jesus asked of Mary, do you believe? And I, uh, Martha, he asked of Martha, do you believe this? And I think it's the question he asks us. It's the question I'm asking you. Do you believe in Jesus? Have you come to that place of understanding that you have a problem called sin and therefore you are going to die and that death is the separation death from God? And that Jesus is the one who's coming to reverse that, but it, it, it happens by faith in him. Have you come to trust him for the salvation of your sins? Because we will all die, and we will all face death. And I'm asking you the question now, face it ahead of time. Look at death square in the eye and give it an answer. What's your answer? Sincerely. What's your answer to death if you look down the road to your day? Are you just kicking that can down the road, hoping you don't have to think about it, living as if that day will never come, but it comes too soon? The only answer that we have to give death is Jesus. That's it. It's not a complicated answer. He has done everything. I need to do one thing. I need to believe. I need to say yes. I need to bow my knee before him. I need to declare my faith that I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. You know, we do avoid death in our culture. We avoid it because we can in certain ways. I mean, a person who often dies, their body's taken from either a hospital or a hospice care home, goes to the funeral home, it's taken care of. Um, nowadays, it's not even so much seen at the actual service itself. Um, you know, it's put in a, a, a casket or it's cremated and in an urn and the family and friends never really see that person again. But it's not like that in other countries. Death is very much more tangible in the sense that they handle the body and they carry that body to the place and they bury the body and they do it themselves. And what they do is they put that body usually in a room, a living room or even a kitchen and people come for a day or so and it's called the wake where they go all night and it gives opportunity for community and family to come. And we witnessed this when we were in Haiti. 
Happens in a lot of countries in South America and Africa and India, but in Haiti, the way it works is that, um, you know, the body is there and people can come and they, they, you know, they mourn together. I had watched from a short distance, this is in 2018 when our team went, a house where we knew a lady lay sick and dying. And um, everyone feared that it could happen at any moment. Of course, we were praying that she would be healed and come back. But I just happened to be walking close to the house with our team when we were doing community visits. We were going out and dropping off um, gifts of food and clothing to different homes that we had had a schedule where we were to go here and there. And and the team kind of went on here and I I was kind of looking over to my right and I saw the house where the woman lived. And I kind of just walked a little bit down towards a trail close to the house because I could hear people that were mourning and crying. The woman hadn't died at that moment But she passed in the moments while I stood there. And I knew because the wailing that went on was unbelievable, but I knew for another reason too. This woman had five children, most of whom were younger. Uh, She worked for the mission agency that we were a part of there in Haiti. She had one son who was 12 years old. And in that moment, he burst through the back door. And he came towards my direction a few feet, and he would have been from here to the back doors or the usher standing about that far away and there was a barrel and he threw himself over the barrel and he was beating the barrel and then he took his hands and he buried his face in his hands and the tears were streaming down his face and then his body was doing something where it was like twitching and it's, it's, it's almost like he was spasming like somehow, how do I get this pain to go away? Because in that moment, reality hit that his mother was dead and she was never coming back. And the pain was so deep in his heart, the anguish of that truth, his body was physically displaying how he felt. I just, I've never lost that picture because any person who dies, and if you die without hope in Christ, it has that kind of finalness to it, right? I hate death. Jesus, deeply moved in spirit and troubled, asked, where did you lay him? (laughs) I know a lot of people like the Marvel movies and the superheroes. Spoiler alert, it's fake. (laughs) But there's one who came into the world who said, where did you lay him? I got business to do. And it was a foreshadowing of his own death and his own resurrection and the truth of the fact that what he would do on the cross, he offers to every one of us. Take off his grave clothes. Let him go. Thanks for listening to our Sardis Fellowship sermon podcast. If you'd like to learn more about our church, please check out sardisfellowship.com. Have a great day and God bless.